to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today, we will be joined by Joseph Leck and Ryan McCarran to discuss farm management. Joseph graduated from the Nova Scotia Agricultural College in 2009. He started sheep farming in 2012 in a rented facility where he milked sheep for two summers. 2016, he came home to take over the family dairy farm. He completed the sale of the farm last spring and is currently milking 40 cows, with 40 O's producing close to 80 market lambs a year. He crops approximately 250 acres to satisfy the farm's own demand for forage, as well as some custom work for neighbors and hay sales. Ryan is the owner of Carindale Cattle Company, Inc. with his partner, Caitlin Knox. He purchased one farm from his father three years ago and currently leases this place along with a few others. He is also running a cow-calf to backgrounding operation with cash crop grain sales. Ryan graduated from the AC in 2009. You might recognize Ryan's voice. He was on one of our original episodes around Sorghum Sudan. Uh, so welcome back, Ryan. Tell us a little bit more about your farm to remind our listeners what you're all about. Yeah, so we primarily started off a couple of years ago as a cow-calf operation. Um, between, And then we're just going to cow-calf and then grow crops, sell cash crops, sell calves. Instead of putting grain into the animals and just kind of have more stuff to sell in the fall off it and then market grain through the winter. We did that our first year. We didn't have great success with the calf crop. Just market took a downturn. And we had a lot of cows. We were up to 180 cows. And the next summer, we were both short on feed. So that, that year, if things weren't keeping calves alive, we just got rid of them. They went right to the plant. Call prices were good. Like in this kind of business, if you're keeping a cow around and they don't give you a calf, they're really not paying their way. So they were kind of going that way. And that decision was easy at that point because we didn't have the feed. So it was an extra cost to keep them on, like we were feeding stored feed. And then we we're still selling our crops. And then we started looking at like, well, we should be putting more value into the animals, keeping our grain on farm. It's less trucking. So as Brad said before, we did have a couple of farms we were leasing. A neighbor across the road had a block from us. I leased my dad's farm he's at, and along with my uncle's pasture. And there's a, another fellow, Nick McGinnis. We get some uh, summer pasture from him, and he does a custom rotational grazing. And yeah, so like a couple of years ago, we started putting a lot more focus into backgrounding our animals, at least having less, but then putting more feed in there. And it was actually because they were getting more grain and they don't eat as much as a, as a full-grown beef cow with the grain they're getting in their diet that they um, were able just to make a little bit, be a little bit more efficient and then get higher value. Like as those animals are approaching, you know, 1100, 1200, you can make decisions as we're going towards finishing. You can then make decisions about where you want to market them. You can take them to Atlantic beef products, which is kind of where we're planning to. We can sell them locally, or we can either, you know, look at what price are doing Ontario, bring in a truck and send them to Brussels or one of the live auction markets. We have more options. And we're kind of controlling the whole cost until we get to the end point, which is a good thing. Keeping more manure and nutrients on farm and keeping that cycle kind of going. So that's kind of where we're at this next year. Like you said, we're trying to get to the point where we got to go cow-calf to finish. And of course, doing that, going cow-calf to finish, is it's more than a year to do that whole cycle. So then you have to balance your financial obligations to your bankers that you have to be showing profits. Otherwise, like after a couple of years, you're going to be like, hey, Ryan, you're not making any money and get the hell out of here. We're not giving you nothing. So yeah, that was like a thing. You have to have numbers in the black and then to go and do that. That's why we kind of, we started backgrounding because then we could still be within the year getting a higher value animal and then getting ready to hold back calves and heifers 
to keep our herd growing. And then we'll keep back some of those heavier yearlings that instead of sending them to Brussels, we'll hold back ones that we don't think will do well. And then we can start our transition to slowly get in there while still keeping ourselves in a profit situation. Last year helped quite a bit with the crop growing year the way it was. It gave us a lot more excess grains to sell, which helped to keeps us on track where we want to be financially. So my wife and I um, officially bought the farm here last April. We're milking 40 calves in a tie stall barn, all purebred cattle, mostly Holstein, few Jerseys. When uh, I showed up five years ago, we were running a short deficit on forage. Since then, I've managed to do a better job utilizing pastures. Also expanded my cropping to uh, use a bunch of the neighbor's fields. And so um, we've managed to double the amount of land that we've cropped with the same equipment. The reason why I chose to do this was trying to buy in forage was tricky because it was hard to buy in any sort of volume and have a consistent product. So when you're trying to balance rations, it wasn't working. So at first we were bringing in a custom operator to do some round baling for us. And then last year we bought ourselves a, a decent round baler. So we were able to do that for ourselves now. I moved the sheep up with the dairy cattle here a handful of years ago uh, when I came home to farm. And uh, they've been a great addition for a couple reasons. I get them to lamb in end of April, May. Basically that allows us to help utilize the hired help I hire through the summer, mostly university students. And so that kind of keeps them busy before we start cropping. Uh, we have a bunch of fencing to do, and we don't do a whole lot of tillage, but we do a little bit of tillage. And then uh, basically June, July, August, we just crop all the time. So we keep everybody busy doing that. One of the reasons I like talking to you guys a lot, you know, you're both young guys. You're, you're really only a decade out of school. One of the things that you both have done in, over the past four or five years is made actually fairly significant changes to your farming operations. Uh, whether or not it's changing from cow calf to finishing and then and then back and forth and and Joseph your your integration of the sheep into your dairy operation can you guys kind of explain at a very high level of you know your decision making process without getting into the details of when you're looking to make a change on the farm what are some of the first things you look at uh, as far as you know whether or not it might work so like an example at our place, um, like a decision that I'm currently dealing with now is um, a lot of our, like a lot of our barns we have, because we used to be dairy and one of our barns was a dairy farm before we had, like when dad bought it, it was originally a dairy farm. And then he always had like either replacement heifers or beef cattle in it, but it was always set up, you know, tower silos, conveyors, had narrow P bunks. So you can't like really drive in there with a TMR. You can't drive in there and put round bales in. You can't do a lot of stuff there but the barn is getting old and we're kind of in this situation where we're just assessing like we have tower silos and we feed out of them and it works great but there is times when they go down and there's an extra maintenance to them and the extra power cost to run them and the repairs on that so we're always looking at going to more of a bale system whether it be like a round bale system or going to big squares that would give us you know lots of productivity we get our stuff done fast and then it would still give us the same kind of speed as chopping silage. But like, as we start peeling back the layers of making that change, it becomes more of a thing. Like if we go to a baleage system in these current barns and how they're set up, we did have a TMR mixer at one farm this winter and we were able to bust bales up and then feed them in through the conveyor system to get them on the current feeding system we have. That starts to take, almost more time than it is if you just fed out of the tower silo so when you start doing the cost analysis 
just looking at, say, okay, it costs us, say, I don't know, just X amount of dollars to run the towers each year. We have them already here, so it's kind of like that makes that point easy. I'm not looking at to build a new one. I'm just looking at staying the same. But then I start researching how much more plastic I'm going to have to buy a new wrapping system and then add the extra amount of feeding time to feed into the current barn system that I have because I don't have the ability to drive through and deliver bulky round bale haylage or hay or something to beef cows. So it takes a longer time to feed that into the conveyors efficiently into the barn. So when you start adding the extra plastic, the extra amount of time and fuel it takes to bust up bales to get it into the feeding system I have, it looks the cost analysis doesn't really work out to you where you're just like, well, I'm doing a whole lot more work now compared to if I just kept using the tower silos and kept my feeding system the way it is. Even though I am running more equipment and doing what I'm doing, it just, unless I have a different feeding system where I can then add uh, drive out, like I'm feeding the cows outside, I can drive along a fence line and then deliver that feed fast, which is what we'd like to do in the future. But like, it's one of those things where you just start looking at the extra cost down the road. And then before I make that decision, I try to really expand before I just jump headfirst into one decision and be like, well, we did a test run and we're not getting out any further ahead and it's just costing us. So like we may as well just keep feeding out of the towers until we're ready, ready to make a wholesale change where we're going like right away from those burns and going into like a new setup or new feed yard or building a big outdoor yard. The cow is going to go in the barn for shelter, but then they're going to, I'm able to drive out and deliver feed to them in a fast way. I look at what it costs me now to run the towers and how I'm doing it. Then I start looking at all the extra costs down the road, like plastic, fuel, a mixer, time, and all that. Then I try to peel it back. And that's just one example of how I would kind of take a, a whole approach look of that. Because the idea is to make my life simpler, not have me cursing that a tower silo is better. Here are upcoming events brought to you by Dalhousie University Faculty of Agriculture. Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers. Our students learn to solve real-world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dal researchers have access to cutting-edge technology, labs, and resources. Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. The Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia and Perennia are jointly hosting a sheep nutrition webinar series beginning February 9th, occurring every third Wednesday for four sessions. Register by visiting nssheep.ca. Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Perennia are also hosting a Grazing Cattle on Cover Crops webinar February 16th. Please register at nscattle.ca. The Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture's 5th Annual Beekeeper Symposium and Nova Scotia Beekeepers Association Annual Meeting will occur virtually February 25th and 26th. Pre-registration is required with registration available at nsbeekeepers.ca. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are introducing an on-farm preconditioning pilot project mid-2022 where cattle preconditioning services will be available to members on-farm. Please visit nscattle.ca forward slash preconditioning for more information. In upcoming sales at Atlantic Stockyards, regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday throughout the winter, with the next one occurring February 17th. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for the full sale schedule. The Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022. The Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Pasture and Forage Management Program. Both programs have application deadlines of June 30th and November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca.
There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program, which has an application deadline of February 28th. For a full list of programs, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like you, when you're making a, a decision around anything on the farm that you're, you're planning for what the next decision might look like as well and not making, you know, your feeding decision in isolation of, of what future burn modifications might require, future feeding programs might look like. Yeah, I don't want to do any more work than I have to. Like, I'm trying to do the least amount, and I want the cows to do the rest. So that's kind of like, if it's going to cost me more money and more labor, and then I don't want to do it. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. The uh, difference is on my farm, I'm actually moving or staying with round bales for a lot of the same reasons that you just pointed out. But it comes down to you got to utilize the uh, assets you have, right? And um, we're milking cows in a tie stall barn. Uh, I'm not set up to handle chopped silage. I've looked at trying to bring in a custom operator to chop all my silage. They come in, they do it in half a day or something like that. And uh, it'd be really slick, just write a check and be done with it. But then the problem is if a custom guy comes in and does all that work for you and it rains that half a day, I've lost my whole winter's worth of feed. Mm -hmm. And so, which is why I've decided to keep making my own feed that way i've spread the risk right so now it takes us five days to do first cut as opposed to half a day so if i get something rained on then uh, i feed it to the heifers and i still got uh, enough feed to feed the calves um i've decided to stay with the round bales i'd like to move to a rotor shop round baler at some point mostly because of the equipment cost to it and if you start penciling out your equipment cost per acre which is how i like to calculate it because it doesn't really matter how much feeds out there it takes the same amount of time to mow it tet it and rake it Baling costs will vary a little bit according to the crop and uh, collection time of bales, definitely. The other thing is I can run, you know, 110, 120 horsepower tractor and cover 40 acres in the run of a day compared to if I was going to run a harvester to cover that acre, acres, I'd need a significantly bigger tractor. What I really like about the round baler is you can do haylage, silage, hay, uh, straw, and it's just one piece of gear. Uh, I'm not a mechanic. I have no intentions to be. And so I want to keep things as simple as I can, right? Yep. The other thing is I put a, a ram bale a rail feeding system in the barn. So basically it's an overhead track system where everything's in a tie stall. Uh, it actually is working out quite well because it saved me about an hour a day having to tear ram bales apart, feeding them by hand. I just put it up on the track. There's a motorized unit that's automated. And it basically takes itself around the barn and the cows just pick off what they want when they want it. And so it's almost like they're grazing. I really like it because you don't end up slug feeding the way that you traditionally do in a tie stall. The other thing is the round bales work well for the sheep. And I'm basically agreeing with Ryan here. You want to keep things simple. And so I just dump a round bale in a feeder outside. The sheep will go out and eat it. And then they go back in the barn when they're done. Yeah. And I, I like that too. When you said about like having just one system of a round baler and like, that's kind of where we're at now. Like one of the things I'm always kind of looking at, I have tower silos and we have a round baler because we still have to put up hay we still have to put up uh, all our straw that we from our grain operation that we have to bale up except for when we're doing a big first cut and we have to cover like a lot of acres and stuff in the future i'd like to go to a big square baler would still give me that like i have a bigger tractor anyways that's on the harvester and it's on my tillage gear because for the grain side of the operation but then it would just give me like i could just get rid of the pull type get rid of the baler and then i just have one system that makes it a little bit more streamlined without a call like it it would just make our operations a little bit simpler because, I mean, we're on hilly ground up here in Anakinesh, so 
I get sick of looking at round bales going that way or the wagon on a hired hand that goes down the hill. And it's like, it's not fun. So whenever that stuff happens, that's another reason why I pay me put like a little bit more to like going away from those two to a square because it would just give me a little bit more peace of mind. And the other thing why I kind of looked at that is that there's a little bit of potential for custom work here because there's no one around the area that has one. Dairy farmers might want some done for their stuff where they can get rid of their balers. And then I'd be able to not have to sacrifice my operation trying to go out. I'd be able to put my feet up quickly and efficiently, and then I could then potentially field out doing that stuff. But that's just kind of one of those things. If I try to get like a little bit added benefit, like, am I going to do this? Can I make a little bit extra that's going to cover the cost of that baler, the higher operating cost by doing work for other people if they want? Like, they're probably still going to be chopping their main feed. And then if they want some dry cow feed that's put up, then that could be a service that we could potentially offer. But that's just one of those things as we're looking at making new purchases, we try to just assess before we kind of jump into it. Just try to have a long think about it before we do a decision because we don't want to like get something then regret it and then have to pay for it. <laughs> for sure. So the other the other kind of thing that I think both of you are doing is renting and leasing land. And uh, I'd like to get a little bit of your input on what the decision-making process goes into renting land versus buying land and whether or not that's the availability of the land in your area whether or not there's a, a cost benefit uh, to that. So just what are your thoughts on, on owning versus renting land? I'd, mu- I'd much rather buy it than own it. I was told a long time ago, I was told if it uh, appreciates in value, buy it. And if it depreciates in value, rent it. Um, like most that. of the land's not for sale. So I end up renting it. And the other thing is it cash flow is a whole lot easier if you have to pay something for rent uh, those first few years while you get the ground up and in shape. So it's not always bad renting it for a few years and then trying to buy it later. Yeah, and I kind of agree with him 100% there. Like, we, we'd always want to buy land if we could. Uh, we couldn't buy any more land that we already kind of took off in our first couple of years. And then we had some people that would let us work a lease out with them. And then we had some, like, custom, like, pastures we leased. And they didn't want to sell the land or somebody was kind of offering, like, it's kind of a custom leasing, grazing service. So it's like... We kind of just drop the cows off to him and he takes care of them. He lets me know if something's wrong. And I just basically drop cows off in the spring. And then unless there's something wrong, he'll pretty much just take care of everything else. And that kind of frees me up a little bit more time too. And then on the renting ground, like, I mean, if I could rent it and get people to put pen to paper and say like, hey, we're going to we're gonna give you this for X amount of years or every year renew it. I mean, that would be ideal. A lot of people don't want to do that around here. So we try to work something else out for them. Still try to have some kind of verbal agreement and something kind of maybe something to exchange hands. We could have a paper trail for some recourse if something goes a little haywire. It is a lot easier to cash flow that land if you're not looking at paying like repayments and interest and all that stuff and getting that all upfront caught. Like if you can make some money off some land, like we got a piece next door to us and if it does come for sale, we'll be pretty happy to get it because we've had it on a lease for a couple of years now and it went from being like nothing to, you know, 70 ton of wheat to like a hundred and 50 ton of barley last year. So it's coming and you're seeing the progression of that field without having to put up the big upfront capital costs where now you can buy this field. And I'd say like, I'd even pay more for it now. Like I pay you whatever, whatever good farmland would go for because we've put the nutrients in there. I know what I'm getting on that. I'm not like looking then to like pay the high price and then start pumping the extra inputs into it right off. It is a nice way because you can, like Joe said, it's a lot, it frees up a lot of money and cash flow if you're not having to put up a repayment on that right up front. Both really good points. You know, so one of the other things that I, I mentioned in introducing you guys is I, I both really like your uh, your systematic 
thoughtful mathematical approach to how you make a lot of your farm decisions. Maybe we'll start a little bit on the production side and talk about you know some of the information that you're keeping uh, to track your production efficiency. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, how you're measuring success on the farm income side. So you're both into multi-commodities. What type of information are you tracking on the cow production side and on the grain production side? Here's the market report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates, and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the weekend of January 28th, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $1.83 per kilogram, up 4.5 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was up 4.5 cents from last week to $1.74 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $1.90 per kilogram, up 10 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products remains flat at $2.83 on the rail, and price was flat in Ontario this week at $1.68 for live steers. And in Quebec, rail prices sit at $2.92 per pound, down $0.02 cents from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stockyard sold for $0.89 cents, an upward change of $0.09 cents from last week. While rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.49, also up six cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 70 cents, up four cents from prior week, and 70 cents Quebec, moving up three cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards averaged $65, down $32. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $178, down $31 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down two cents to a base price of $1.44 per pound. And calves in Quebec were $1.30, a drop of three cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland sits at $14 per kilogram, and mutton sits at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.30 per pound at 60 pounds. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $4.41 per pound at 60 pounds, ranging from $3.15 to $4.85. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average 316 per pound at 70 pounds, ranging from 265 to 350. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average $4.32 per pound at 71 pounds, ranging from 325 to 465. Use at Atlantic Stockyards range from 50 to $110, averaging $82. And in Ontario, use average $1.94 at 157 pounds ranging from $1 to $2.55. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. Well, like we have a scale in our barn, so that's always something that gives us like for the cattle side, like when calves come in and we're weaning calves, vaccinating, like we'll throw a scale out, get something down there, whether it's just pen or paper, we're putting like we're part of the data management project. So we're able trying to plug that information in and keep that like a more like on the go month over month gain record on that but like the biggest thing we got was just a scale first time we got in we didn't have a scale sent calves to market they probably weren't as heavy as we thought like visually when people would walk in the barn they'd be like oh that's x amount of pounds and they weren't x amount of pounds so um that right then we just got a scale and said there's no none of that guessing how to have hard number every time they walk across the scale we know what they look like 
so after we track that stuff so we know their mothers can come off there see who's like bringing the breast cast in relation to when they're like obviously if we're weaning a group and there's some that were at the end of the month and someone at the top of the month but then you start to kind of see if you know the mother you know the calves coming in across the scale and you're seeing like that one calf at the end of the month and she's weaning a heavier calf than the ones at the start obviously that's the cow you're going to want to keep or a heifer you're going to want to keep and keep those lines going so that's kind of one side of that management that we track and of course like we're always looking for more pounds of weaning like the more pounds we get off the mother that's the better cow we're doing so that's a more efficient cow because for every time she eats we want to make sure that she's giving us a big calf and beef if you get something in there that's producing something that's 200 pounds less no milk on her and she's just a boarder who ain't paying her way and she doesn't work here anymore so uh the other ones like the other main metric we use for the grain side of it like we have our tanks we'll do measurements on the tanks so we don't have a yield monitor in cab yet it's an older combine but as we harvest and come off there, we measure all the tanks, do with a visual measurement. So we do know because we can just do a cubic measurement of the cylinder plus the cone. And then you can dig in a bushel estimation. I know the moisture coming off the field. So then I can actually get a measurement then of what I have. And then the main measurement is actually when I go to sell the grain, it crosses the scale. So then we actually do know like from our visual estimates, then we back it up with what we actually put to market when it goes across the scale at the mill or at uh, another person's farm. It's like, I won't like come out of a field and be like, well, I got two and a half ton of barley out there because like at the end of the day, like it might make you feel good to the neighbor, but I don't have the money at the end of the day. It doesn't make me feel good. So I don't even try to bullshit that anymore. I'm just like, nope, first two years of crap. We got nothing and it sucks. So like, anyway, so like after that, so we always track everything and we look at all that stuff there and like, and then I have to come back home to Caitlin and she's doing the books on like the, the day-to-day bookkeeping. And like, as we start coming in short on grain or short on cattle, I got to be like, explain that this is the weather or this is bad years and the investments that we have and the bills that we got to cover. And so then we start looking at that, like, which is pulling. And the first year we're like, as we start looking, cause we are a multi at that point, we were selling calves and we we're selling crops. So then it was real, like, which industry is, like, one, like, should we be going all crops? Should we be going all cattle? And then we started looking at, like, who's actually paying the way and then deciphering, like, I take all my my pasture, my forage, that's all cattle crops. And then all the grain that wasn't going to the cattles, that was all siphoned off. So when we look at the fertilizer bill and look at our chemical bills and which was allocated to the cattle side, which was allocated to the grain side, it basically was coming out as that first year, they both were kind of dragging their feet in both sectors and that's just basically due to the weather that we had that first year and then the second year was kind of similar but was it was better but similar and then this year they kind of both started taking off on their own thing but basically that's when we started looking at our first year whenever we had like a bad crops in both the cattle and on the um, grain and we started looking at okay do we cut the cattle out and just go sold cash crop sell our hay and just that way we don't have to worry about and the extra expenses that cattle bring up and then we looked at that and then we started assessing how much extra fertilizer we'd have to pay because then all our hay land wouldn't be getting in manure pasture lands they wouldn't have cows grazing on them so then that'd be less nutrients and we started adding up how much extra fertilizer we have to buy in so that's really kind of like you know it was going to be an extra cost for what we we're going to gain well yeah you might gain some we gain maybe a little bit more lifestyle but we like having cattle so that kind of made that easy and then we looked at the same in the crops a couple of years, like, do we sell the grain? And we said, well, as we're going through this transition period of going right from cow, calf, cash crop to like solely like finishing out our animals and maybe still selling cash crops, it was nice to have big bulk of sale grains to get you the cash flow to take you through to the other feeder sales. And then we kind of started looking at it more like if we started finishing out those cattle, they, they're more work and more of like a, 
and a good relationship with each other because it gives you that rotation. We keep more nutrients on farm, which kind of helps produce our fertilizer bill. So I guess to get back to more of the point, like how do we assess that? It's a little bit harder, but we'll look at it all in sectors first. So like grain crops are pretty easy. You just got to take your, like all your fertilizer. How many pounds of the acre you're putting it on? Like you have to have good field maps. Like your field has to be accurate. So, you know, if it's 55 acres, we go out there, we put X amount of tons on there. Then you just divide that up by the acres, what your rate is. Then divide your ton by the, by the acre rate. And you're going to like have how many pounds of fertilizer. You're putting on 70 bucks an acre of, of nutrition. You might be putting on 35 bucks of chemical. I saw in yourself some like what it costs you to put that on with your like tractor operating rates. And then you can kind of get to your grain crops. How much does it cost me per acre to grow and raise that crop? And then you can start assessing if I sell that crop on the cash market, I'm going to get X amount of dollars. And if I take that grain and I keep it on farm, and I'm going to put it into my steer and my steer is going to eat like 1.7 ton from 500 pounds to finish. Then you can start assessing how that value of grain is increasing through your animal, especially if you're selling your animal and say if it's a heifer and it's going to go to the sale of barn and get like a thousand bucks. Now you're looking at maybe taking like 500, 600 bucks of grain, putting in your animal that's going to maybe yield you up to a $2,000 fat cow. If you're going to finish her, it's, those are the numbers that you start looking at and trying to say, and we're going to get the nutrition. We're going to get a high value manure because it's coming out of a fed animal that's getting fed a lot of high quality feed. Those are kind of the, the, the processes that we would start going in as we're going through this transition of saying how we want to do that. And the other part is a little bit of risk management because then we're looking at, we don't have to like, we're not sending it to an auction, like you get bad weather and then happens, you know, just, just anything could happen. Day. You just have one bad sale, it could make your year, it could break your year. The more control you have, and then you start moving smaller lots, especially where we have Atlantic beef or selling it locally, you kind of take a little small lots. Like we sent a pot load out the other day. It's like 69 head, but it's gone. So it's either going to be a big bill or you're going to be not too happy. So ideally we want to do that. So it's like, we're not worrying about like, you know, going to a sale and having those issues. That's kind of an example of how we go through that process. Yeah. When I start looking at stuff, it's easy where I only do grass forage. I don't do any sort of corn silage or anything like that. I can just count bales per acre. Yeah. Uh, whether I'd run round bales or square bales, it's all bales per acre. It's all kept in a spreadsheet. Um, I compare year over year and basically after a few years start to work out an average. The other thing is it's interesting to see how the older fields are performing compared to some of the newer fields that you've rolled over. I don't see a huge difference on first cut volumes, but I see a big difference on second and third cut volumes. The other thing is I like to pasture. When I started farming, everybody was pushing me for, um, you know, you got to make your hay fields better. You got to make better forage and you got to store more feed and everything like that. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, well, I need at least 60 acres, if not 80 acres to feed the cows for the winter. And if I was to pasture them, do a good job managing pasture, I should be able to pasture them on 15 acres-ish. And so then all of a sudden it's like, well, I can spend a whole lack of money to fix up 60 acres to feed them for, you know, seven, maybe eight months of the year. Or I can spend a bunch of money fixing up 15 acres and feed them for six months of the year. And so I started doing a lot more with pastures and pasture rotation. And the, the sheep really came in handy there for uh, rejuvenating older pastures and so my stocking density has gone up every year for the last five years and if you told me it would have moved as much as it has in the last five years I would have called you a liar five years ago it's made a big difference 
Well, guys, I, I've definitely appreciated this conversation today, and I, I picked up a couple of things here that I think we'll talk about on a, another episode in the future. I uh, definitely want to take uh, this chance to thank you for both being with us today, and I'm sure we'll chat again. Uh, if not on a podcast, I'm sure we'll chat offline at some point. So thanks very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.